Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. If you have listened for a long time, you know that many, many episodes ago, you met somebody named Sandra, who is part of our Christian writing group. And ever since then, she has connected me with so many other ladies who are in the the Christian writing family, and they all have stories to share. So tonight you get to meet another one of those authors. Her name is Sarah. Thank you so much for being here tonight, Sarah. And would you introduce yourself to the listeners before we jump into your story? So my name is Sarah. I have a pen name that's Essie Clancy, which makes it awkward because people call me Essie when they first meet me, but I prefer Sarah. And I live in far Northern California with my family, my husband of 29 years. And actually my mom is my neighbor across the pond. I actually work as a, for an accounting firm up in Oregon, actually out of Portland. I telecommute and I do business tax preparation and bookkeeping and payroll, the very exciting world of numbers. And on my hobby time is when I do my writing. um, And then I also have a cut flower garden. That's amazing. You know, you just described really two completely different worlds, the number accounting world and kind of the creative writing world. And and for a lot of people, those two worlds don't intermix much. Uh, A lot of people kind of are in one camp or the other. So it's interesting that you've kind of got a foot in each. So we're going to hear all about that. And of course, every story starts at the beginning with, with the childhood. And that's where we're we're going to rewind the tape and start there and find out how it was that you ended up as an author. It starts in uh, Southern California. Am I correct? It does start in Southern California. Both my parents were raised in the Los Angeles area. They actually were the quintessential story of the other side of the tracks. Uh, My mom grew up in Hollywood Hills and my dad grew up actually living right next to the railroad tracks in LA. And when they were married and started having a family, they realized when I was fairly young that dad didn't want to raise the family in the city. So we moved up to Southern Oregon where we stayed for several years until my dad was called to become a pastor. And we moved up to Portland, Oregon, where where he went through Multnomah School of the Bible. And that's when I became a pastor's kid and learned all the pastor kid tricks like making coffee, how to fold the bulletins, fill in janitor, you know, teaching Sunday school when I was 13. <laughs> so then we actually moved a couple of times when dad was a pastor and we ended up landing in far Northern California when I was a sophomore in high school. And the transition for me at that time was difficult because I moved from my freshman class up in Washington where there were 23 kids, including myself. And I moved to a sophomore class where there were over 300. I had a physical disability of scoliosis and I was in a back brace. So it made me prime target for a lot of just bullying and being made fun of. So I escaped to writing poems and I had some teachers enter me into some contests, which I won. But after researching, which is my, which is my jam, I love to research. I figured out that writing didn't really pay anything and I needed a career. So I went and enrolled at the local community college, not quite knowing what I wanted to do. 
I wanted to do it all, but I didn't really have any direction. I wanted to be an x-ray tech. I wanted to be a marine biologist. I wanted to be <laughs> all the things. And then I met my now husband, actually, uh, he was a left tackle for the football team. And I had been suckered into doing the stats for the offensive line. We got married pretty young. Uh, when I tell the story to any of the high school groups that Michael and, ha- and I have led over the years, they usually get starry eyed. The girls do when I tell them that I was married at 19 when we had dated for less than a year, but we went through some pretty intense counseling and decided that it was right and worked full time and went to school full time. And all of my dreams of writing disappeared behind life and school and everything else. You know, if it's okay, I'd love to pause you just real quick and ask a question because God's timing always amazes me. And in the past few weeks, I cannot tell you how many 19-year-old girls I've been having conversations with who are newly engaged or thinking about getting engaged. And you said, you just said you went through some pretty intense counseling. Certainly there are people out there that would say, what are you thinking? This is ridiculous. You need to be at least, you know, whatever. We've, we've got, we've had that for 29 years told to us. So yeah, I I can touch on that if you want. Yeah. If you just, even just for that moment, just to speak to those young girls of what, what would you tell them? What encouragement or guidance or things to keep in mind? What did you do that made it work? (laughs) I always like to encourage people who are looking more for an explanation that God doesn't put anybody on an exact time scale. Some people will get married really young and some people won't. Uh, For Michael and I, we actually were, we got engaged after only three months. We knew we were going to get married. Then we actually kind of got a little bit like, oh, this is happening really fast. So we asked another pastor and his wife if they would be willing to do some premarital counseling, even though we had set the date like three years down the road. And we went through about three months of counseling every other week. We had never lived out of our parents' home. This was our first serious relationship. And what the counseling revealed to us was not only God's will for marriage, but also each other to make sure we were doing this honestly and not emotionally. Because emotions can really cloud up a lot of things, especially when you get big heart eyes, you know, and your heart's like, yay, there he is. But to go into it with all the facts of if you get into an argument over something silly like pattern wear on the plates, you're going to have to go use the restroom. And the only door to get into the restroom is through the bedroom. And he's sitting on the bed and you're mad. And so you'd like, I don't want to go to the bathroom. But that's what one of the things that premarital counseling helped us work through that kind of stuff. So whether you're 80 or whether you're 19, I'm a huge proponent of premarital counseling just because it also helps you understand communication. Absolutely. I think for the analogy I've been giving is that marriage is a marathon and you've got to train for it. Getting some training, getting some counseling, um, preparing yourself gives you a much higher chance of success, or at least that you can maybe do that marathon with uh, less injuries. <laughs> Right. And I would, and one of my suggestions to people, and I've heard it over and over, and I've had young girls poo poo me, is I'm like, do not go into premarital counseling with a friend or somebody who just meets with you for like one weekend at a pizza parlor and you call it good after two hours. We went through several weeks 
and it was it was finances because that's a big deal when you have two different people wanting two different things and you have one bank account or then if you have two bank accounts that could cause strife it is like a marathon it is setting yourself up to at least be able to know where to go for answers agreed 100% <laughs> there are so many so many conversations that are important to have before walking down the aisle just so you're prepared well thank you so much for taking a little commercial break with us and just speaking to those young women who are engaged or looking to get engaged. And so uh, you've, you've found your, your football husband. Found my football husband. I could only afford a clearance wedding dress. That's how poor we were. Our uh, first apartment was orange shag carpet. We had a hand-me-down couch and we were happy as clams. But yeah, I didn't have any desire to do any writing. I was busy being an, a 19 and that in my 20s, it just wasn't there. We were trying to pay bills. And so life continued on. I wrote here and there for a few things like poems because I wanted to, or sometimes I got into terrible drawing. Don't ask me to draw, but I drew for a while because I was trying to be creative and it just was nothing like the love I had for words, but my words weren't happening. And then as life progressed, we had a couple of kiddos, went through a few houses and some dogs. And my daughters were in a, uh, they were started in public school. And then we moved them to a private Christian school. And one day the art teacher had me come in with my youngest and was explaining her drawings and how wonderful they were. And the art teacher was just wonderful and was just chit-chatting with me. And during that time in my life, I was really trying to focus on our local Christian radio station. I happened to turn it on when I was leaving that meeting. And there was a commercial for a local Christian writers group. I hadn't written in years. And I was like, I'm going to go to that. I scribbled it on my hand as I was driving with one knee on the steering wheel, trying to get me, trying to write all the stuff on my hand. And showed up to that first meeting. I was terrified, terrified to walk into the meeting. I had a spiral bound notepad. It was yellow because I still have it. And walked in and lo and behold, there was my kid's art teacher. Her name's Hannah. And she saw me and she waved across the room. And I went down and sat next to her. And I've never left that writer's group. Within a few months in the writers group, they announced that there was a Christian writers conference down in Mount Hermon. I had never been to any conference, let alone a Christian writers conference, but that was something that as soon as I heard it, it was my heart was pulled towards it. Hannah had mentioned that she was going and I came home and talked it over with my husband and we decided that that would be something that I would work toward and go to. So within a matter of months, my writing life went from kind of ashes. The writer's group was the flint that hit, that started that spark again. I was writing every night, all the time in my car. I started using the notes feature on my phone so I could actually write while I was driving. And I actually finished an entire manuscript before I went to Mount Hermon that first year. And in those days, when you would go to Mount Hermon, you would actually mail your manuscript ahead. And you, you could choose at that time, three people to submit it to, and they would give it back to you with comment. 
Research is my jam, as I already said. So I made sure that I looked up everybody that was going and who was accepting what type of genre and what kind of books they had already accepted and all that. And so I submitted it to three people, one person in particular who was accepting young adult. She was the only person accepting young adult. And the reason I was writing young adult at the time is because one, it just speaks not just to young adult, it actually speaks generationally because young adults see it in their eyes. 20 year olds see it as this wasn't so long ago. And when you hit my age, you look back at it with a different set of eyes of, oh, I remember this. And I totally remember this feeling. And I had kids, I had my kids coming up in that age. And so I wanted to write something for them, but I wanted to explain biblical truths through fiction. When Hannah and I went, I just knew that I was going to be the exception. And I just knew that I was going to walk away with a contract because it was, it was just that good. It was so good. And uh, when I went to go pick up the first manuscript that was done, it was the first night we were there and it was right before chapel. And I rip open my manila envelope and I start reading and I still have what the editor wrote in my phone, which is you're not good enough to write at this level. You need to write in a different genre. And all I could think of was running away. And Hannah found me crying my eyes out. And I just, I looked at her and I said, you know what? This was obviously a mistake. So I will, because we had, we had come down to the conference together. And I said, uh, you know what? I'll just come back and pick you up on Tuesday. I would rather not do this to myself. And she's like, no, no, no. Wait, just go to chapel with me go to sleep. If you still want to leave in the morning, at least you get some sleep. I don't want you to have to drive four hours home. That would be pretty dangerous. I'm like, whatever making sense, fine, I'll stay. I'll praise Jesus. I'm very sad right now. I don't want to praise Jesus. I don't know why I've come. Why did I spend this money? This is a terrible mistake. Now I'm, you know, stuck here. All it's all I could think of was going into the chapel that night was just how terrible I was and that I needed to not be writing. And then we were doing the singing and the worship and I wasn't really into it. I was standing next to Hannah, just crying, trying not to have snot run down my face. (laughs) And Robin Jones Gunn stood up to speak that year. And she said, let me tell you a story. And she proceeded to talk about how she started writing her Christie series so many years ago because she found the girls in her youth group reading I don't know. I think she just, she doesn't describe them as trash novels, but they weren't good novels when they had gone out. And I I looked at Hannah and she looked at me and she goes, that's what you're writing for. You're writing for the kids in the church who don't have anything to read. And I'm like, yes. So I figured out that night that I was probably supposed to be there. And so I stayed the rest of the conference. I met with Linda Howard and she had said, you know, I'm, I'm interested in this. It does need a lot of work, but send it to me and maybe we can talk about it and wrote her name and her email address. And I was so scared that I didn't follow up and send her anything, but I did keep writing. And I realized that it was actually, in fact, a terrible story. (laughs) The grammar was not exactly what it should be. It was, I was trying to be innovative and write it differently and it didn't work. And I needed to learn skills. And so when I went back to our local writers group, I recognized that I needed to learn the craft better. 
I had the stories, but I needed to know the craft. So I really honed in on the local people teaching the craft and practiced. And Hannah became my, she's my reader of all. And I came up with a funny idea, a funny story idea, because my daughter one day, my oldest daughter at the time, it was just so unfair. The teacher was making them volunteer for a project and they were going to be graded on it. And why do I have to volunteer to do things? I was like, well, this is, it's called community service for a reason. So these are the things in life you have to learn. At the same time, uh, there was an artist that had just come out with a, a series that was getting, it was a series of photographs that were super popular on YouTube. And it was an older person looking into the mirror and seeing a reflection of their younger selves. And the one that struck, it was like, that was who I was looking for my whole life to write a story about was an older woman sitting at a old fashioned bureau and looking into the mirror and seeing herself kind of dressed up almost like a, like a Hollywood starlet, but not quite that level. So I happened to see that picture right around the time the community stuff came, the community service stuff came up for my oldest and said, wouldn't it be funny if she had to volunteer to, you know, work in it with elderly people, people are not seeing the worth of an older generation and their stories are getting lost. And that is the beginning of Victoria Grace, the jerk face, how that idea was born was a young girl who gets paired with an older lady in a care facility and how she learns the worth of Marigold's story and the worth of a life of another. And the story gained momentum for me enough that I wanted to attend Mount Hermon the next year, but I didn't sign up to speak with anybody. I didn't submit my story to anybody. I signed up for a special class with Sarah Sundin on how to craft fiction. And I was, I was the only person writing contemporary fiction, young adult also. And Sarah and I, we were supposed to have one-on-one appointments, but hers kept getting, we kept getting canceled. So finally we just said, let's have ice cream together. (laughs) So, I mean, who turns down ice cream? Not me. I love ice cream. So we sat in the ice cream shop at Mount Hermon and we're just talking life. And she was like, and she was giving me some tips on the story and telling me from what I had right there. This is what part she liked about it. This is what I needed to bring in. And I was so encouraged that year because I left me out of it. I kind of went for the story and left me alone. Um, And it let me be free to just um, enjoy being there with other writers. And so um, we're sitting there eating ice cream. I was none the wiser when um, her agent, Rachel Kent, walked in and Sarah invited her over to sit with us to eat ice cream. So I'm this new freshman writer, like, like like jammed into the corner, quietly eating my ice cream, listening to these two talk about Sarah's, I don't know what book number it was then, but they were talking about, there was a problem with the girl on the cover, her hairstyle, it didn't match the right decade for when the book was written. And I was actually just thinking to myself as I was eating ice cream, man, someday I hope I have these problems. (laughs) So I'm just eating ice cream by myself in the corner. And Sarah turns to me right as I'm mid-bite and says, so why don't you tell Rachel what your book is about? 
And for all the times I had practiced my pitches, for all the times I had talked about my book with other people, it was like brain freeze. I did end up kind of bumbling my way through a pitch. I went to bed that night just on top of the moon and just happy that I had been in that place. And it was for me, it was like, oh, that was such a God moment just to learn to hear an agent actually interact with their author. I had never seen that before. So it was wonderful for me to see the interaction. Rachel actually offered, uh, she gave me a card and said, hey, I'd like you to send me a, a sample. And I promised myself if ever received another invitation to submit that I would follow up with it. And so I held myself accountable. After Mount Hermon, I put myself on deadline to finish that, to finish Victoria Grace, the trick face. And so I submitted it along with another fully fledged book idea to Rachel. And because of appointments being canceled and wanting ice cream, Rachel actually offered to represent me. So that was God's timing, which was not mine because I went with zero expectations. I made no appointments, but it was really important for me to remove myself from when you invest a lot into a conference like that. My line of thinking was try to get as much out of this for me to be able to learn what I need to and for me to be able to. And what it always came back was to me. And that second year that I went was trying to put God back into the front of the cart. I had to let go of my own expectations in writing in order to get where God actually needed me to be to submit to being into a a learning skills in fiction writing, even though the year before I thought I knew it and I thought that I was there, but it took letting that go and sacrificing that part of myself and what I thought I knew. I think that's a life lesson for most people's stories, whether they are authors (laughs) or not, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. Sometimes I can get ahead of myself. I'm the colossal foot in the mouth person. It's my personality. It's something that I, I have to die to myself a lot in order for God to move forward in my life and coming to that recognition, even with something that you think is a hobby, which is, I think is where I came to the recognition of even understanding that I have to give my hobby over to God. So, and, and I did rededicate my, my writing to Lord go before me in this writing. And I don't expect that the Lord's going to be like, and now the big five publishers are going to give you multi-book contracts. I mean, sure, that'd be wonderful. But also my whole thing was I needed to show my kids and other kids or even any reader who reads the book that I can show God in a presentable way in Victoria Grace, the jerk face. It's, there's not an overt biblical message in it, but it is a clean read and they go to church. I would rather a person be loved to Christ through something like that and also find out that the story is for me, the story, the generational gap, I ended up falling in love with my characters as I wrote them, which was funny because I had never done that before. And in writing certain parts of it, the emotions were so overwhelming to me. I want there to be more young adult reads available to a Christian audience. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was the vision that Sander was bringing to Calvary Mac and then connecting with all of these Christian writers and 
how all of these writers ended up, you know, kind of telling their, you know, their life story or their writing story here on the podcast. And so for those who are listening, who think either for themselves or maybe for a young adult woman in their life, how would they find your work, blog, website, Amazon, anything uh, you want to share and whatever links there are, we'll of course include those in the episode notes as well. I have a website that has been needing an update for quite some time. So please don't judge me. It's author seclancy.com. And maybe that's my website. Maybe it's seclancy.com. I forgot my own website. Guys, I had to change. <laughs> I had to take, here's the, here's the funny reason as to why I have a pen name. The first thing that agents or editors do is they do Google you because that's their job. And he came back to me and sent me a link and he says, is this you? Like three question marks at the end. And I'm like, oh no, I click on it and I'm like, wow, that's not me. I don't write these type of books. Ha ha ha. (laughs) So I actually use the, and that's why I have a pen name. I also have a pen name just because there's some people on the internet who can get a little bit crazy. So that's why I, chose a pen name, uh, but I am everywhere else, like on Facebook and on Instagram as author S.E. Clancy, but the website is seclancy.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking time to share a little bit about who you are and your writing journey. I know that certainly for ladies listening who are interested in trying to get published, your story offers some hope and encouragement. But even for those who are in a completely different season of life or a totally different career or totally different hobby, the life lesson is still there. We are on God's timeline, not our own. It's true. There's a there's a meme that I absolutely love and I would look it up, but it's on my phone, which is what I'm talking talking to you on. And it says, <laughs> until it's my time, I will clap for others. And that's, mm. I truly believe that. And especially in that, that's one thing I've learned in the Christian writing arena is that there's a lot of people who will cheer for you. There's a lot of people who will invest in you and you have to be willing to take those steps and move forward with that. Ladies, I hope you remember that quote, until it's my time, I will clap for others. Because no matter what your story is, I'm I'm sure all of you can relate to that in some way from some life season. We always like to close our episodes with a prayer for the listeners. Sarah, would you be willing to pray for the ladies who are maybe in that season where they just are clapping for others right now? Absolutely. Dear God, for everybody who is listening and for anybody who is wondering about what they should do in their life right now, whether it's with writing, whether it's with a gigantic decision or even small ones, Lord, I pray that they would cling to the verses in James 1 and that they would ask you for wisdom and that you would generously give them wisdom in regards to their decisions, in regards to a writing journey, that you would be foremost in their mind. And Lord, bring joy to the listeners today, small joys or great joys, that you would just be a giver of good gifts. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Sarah, for taking time to do this and sharing a little bit about your writing journey and just who you are. Ladies, thank you so much for tuning in, for listening. If this is your first time listening to the Story Night podcast, this is a place where real women share real stories of real hope. And every story is completely different. Some are quiet, some are dramatic. We have ladies from all over the country who will share their story. So hopefully you found a a podcast that you're going to subscribe to and enjoy. So thank you again for tuning in and we hope you were blessed and we hope you come back next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.